Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. You know, when I have a large project at home, sometimes it makes sense to do it by myself. At other times, I actually save money in the long term and have a much better solution if I use an expert. It's really not that much different with church planning. Church planners who focus on building their core team and actually planting the church and partner with portability experts like Portable Church Industries hit the ground running. Yes, you may have to raise more funds up front, but let me tell you something. If I could go back in a time machine and do one thing different in all the churches that I planted, I would go back and have invested that money in Portable Church and all of the super cool kit that they give you to make the volunteers and their lives much, much easier. Trust me, your volunteers will feel invested in, and they're going to give you more of what they got. And that time where people are setting up is going to be a time where it sets the atmosphere for you to thrive. If you're thinking about launching in the next six to 36 months, we encourage you to check them out at portablechurch.com. Welcome to Hardcore Church Planning. I have with me today, my guest is Greg Holder. He is the senior pastor, lead pastor of The Crossing in St. Louis. And I want to talk to him today about a book that he has called The Genius of One, God's Answer for Our Fractured World. So, uh, Greg, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. It's it's great to be here. Yeah, first time for you. Long time listener, though, right? Yes, absolutely. And so it's, it's a thrill to be here with you and I'm, and I, I can't wait for us to talk. That was almost scary. You just kicked right into that, man. I, I better watch my, uh, watch myself on here. So you, you've also been involved in a couple other projects. What are those? Well, um, thank you for asking. Uh, about 10 years ago, uh, two buddies of mine who are both pastors, Rick McKinley in Portland and Chris C. Uh, at Ecclesia Church in Houston, the three of us wrote a book uh, describing this this movement that we started called Advent Conspiracy, which is something that just uh, really sort of took off in a viral way, challenging people to celebrate Christmas differently around these four tenets. And so we wrote that book and we still kind of tend to that very open sourced movement. It's kind of a cool thing. And uh, and and so there's that. And then uh, I was involved in the uh, the voice translation project and was uh, involved with uh, the the translation of Jeremiah. So I worked with a scholar and and we we wrote the commentary and and worked through Jeremiah, which by the way is the longest book in the Bible. Uh, if yes, the Psalms are all a song, you know, a collection of song books, and so so yes, that was quite a project. I used to I used to teach old introduction to Old Testament. Um, and I, uh, was very glad when a guest came in and presented Jeremiah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me a few weeks I'll, off and saved I'll me all you, that homework. I'll never forget the first time I met with the Hebrew scholar that was going to be working with me as I started trying to kind of, uh, 
just put all this down on paper. And he said, so, Jeremiah, that's a mess. I can't wait to see what you do with it. And I was like, wow, that's not encouraging at all. So, <laughs> But, uh, but no, I, God be praised, I think that turned out. Right on, man. Well, hey, um, look, we, you know, uh, before we get in to the book, cause I mean, this book is not relevant at all. I mean, <laughs> everybody's getting along so well. All you have yes. to do is get on Facebook yes. and, you know, the church seems to love each other. Everything's fine. I don't know why you'd write a book like this. Right. But before we get into that, um, I, yeah, I want to just hear who you are. And I know our listeners would be, they, they probably don't know you and they're like, Hey, you know, who, who is Greg? Tell us a little bit about how you came to faith, like the one minute version, two minute version. Sure. If you, if you feel you must. And sure. then, um, sure. tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this crazy little thing called ministry and we will yeah. go from there. Yeah. Well, I took the long way around the barn. That's for sure. Um, I came to Christ at an early age, was blessed with a mom and dad who loved Jesus. And uh, my dad really taught me how to read God's word. Uh, and I, I tell people at our church almost in a rabbinical fashion, I would ask him questions and he would answer those questions with mm. questions. It's like, well, you know, what do you think, Greg? And I'm like, no, dad, that's why I was asking you. So he <laughs> taught me at an early age, turned me back into the word. And uh, so grateful for that. I will tell you this, and it relates to the book. Um, in fact, there's even a reference to this in the uh, in the prologue is that uh, for whatever reason, we didn't land in what I would call healthy churches. In fact, I remember one night when my uh, parents, we were driving home from a, a church service and my mom in tears said to my dad in the front seat, how can Christians treat each other that way? Now I'm like eight years old at the time. And I remember thinking, this is wrong. This is broken. This can't be the way it's supposed to be. Mm. And for a period of time, I pulled back, not from the church, but from this idea of the church being how God was going to really get things done in this world. Hmm. Um, you know, fast forward through the rest of my life, I go down all sorts of roads, uh, and he called me out of the marketplace, uh, 20 years ago, uh, back into ministry, uh, because of what I saw in our little startup church happening with people who were coming to Christ. And all of a sudden now it's not theory. And it's like God through some really cool stories reminded me that I might have given up on his church, but he hadn't. Mm. And so it was in the context of a small, frankly, a church plant that we saw, um, I saw God doing his thing, and I fell back in love with the local church. Amen. And so I, you from know, there, it, it's, it it's all happened. Church Planner Magazine was, was founded by myself and a guy who has almost your similar story. He was a son of a Baptist minister. Sounds like yeah. a curse word when you say it like that, but he, uh, he, he watched his dad take a beating and, yeah. um, he went off to become a marketer, made tons of money. And, uh, I was speaking at a church and he came up to me and said, Hey, I'm a marketer and you really suck at raising funds. <laughs> He's like, your stories are rad and brother, I would be interested in anything you do, but. Maybe you need some help on this stuff. And so exactly. we started talking because I was, I was a sucky missionary and uh, I planted a church in Long Beach and he came along and that was exactly his story. So he started yeah. seeing radical transformational conversions and um, things that could only be explained really by the Holy Spirit and, and exactly the same. And now he's leading people to Christ. And I mean, he's getting involved in prison ministry and yeah. that just was not him. So that yeah. is so cool, man. I'll tell me as a twin. Yes. Well, and unfortunately, uh, you know, and I think we're back to now the book, but um, 
I don't, I, I'll bet you there's more than twins here. I mean, I'm afraid that story is, is more common than we would like to admit. Um, but I don't think, I really don't think God has given up on the church. I think he is calling us to a different way of doing this. And so that's, that's kind of where some of the RPMs come with the book. Well, let's hear a little bit about that. I mean, what is the book about? Um, you know, genius of one. First off, that's a cool title. Um, All right. What's, what's it mean? Well, let's let's say this up front. It's not my genius. And so it all it all goes back to uh, a prayer that Jesus prayed on the worst night of his life. Um, hmm. He's he's dismissed the betrayer by now. Um, he's with those remaining 11 disciples. They have really no clue fully what's going on and the, the cloud of sadness that is on his face. Someplace between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, there they cross the Brook Kidron there outside the, the city walls of Jerusalem, someplace there. We don't know where, but someplace there. He prays another prayer for us. And this is this is the prayer found in John 17. And he prays for himself. He prays for those disciples. And then he, frankly, prays for you and me. He prays for those who would believe because of the, the disciples' testimony. Okay. What does he pray? He doesn't pray that we would be cool. He doesn't pray that we would be wealthy or powerful or influential or win all the apologetics arguments. He prays that we would be one. Father, may they be one as you and I are one so that the world will know that you sent me. That's the essence of the prayer. So the book then is really us talking about this prayer of Jesus, because in in essence, we are to reflect in some amazingly practical ways the mystery of the kind of love that flows between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We're to do that. Pretty tall order. So the first part of the book, we talk a little bit about the mystery of the Trinity and some we get we kind of we wade into deep waters for a little bit. But really, the rest of the book is uh, some honest assessments of how we're doing on things. And really, then the, the biggest section of the book is called Nuts and Bolts. And it's practical chapters on how you and I can actually function as one, whether it's in relationships in small groups, in our families, uh, on a team, and of course in in local churches, and even across uh, church lines and parachurch lines. How are we supposed to do this? Because uh, you mentioned it earlier, the world isn't getting along and has forgotten if it ever knew how to get along. But we as Christians are to take a lead on this. I, I still believe, Peyton, I, I really do, that there is an opportunity here. There's a space here where Christians can step in with a different voice and a different answer than anyone else. And I think this is our time. I really do. But we will have to be intentional about this. That's rad, man. I love, I love it. it, it the weird thing about this conversation is right before this, I was on another podcast and I quoted that uh, John 17 passage where Jesus go. says, you've loved me with the same love. Yes. Uh, or you've loved them with the same love you've loved me and how mind blowing that is. When you grab yes. that and, you know, it's funny, the guest right before you, uh, was the author of it's, um, upward, outward, inward. And he talks about how that greatest love of loving God leads to those others. And so it's kind of unplanned by me, but yeah. I feel like I'm having the same conversation or building on the same conversation. Yeah. So from my yeah. perspective, that's very cool, but I think it is the conversation that the church needs to be having. And we're not. Um, uh, let me just say this, and then I'll, I'll ask you to unpack this a bit. There's that one scene in um, 
I don't remember what which of the history books it is in the Old Testament, but um, they send back two of the warriors with half their beards shaved off, uh, shaved yeah. off, and the back of their their tunics cut off, so their butts are hanging out. Yeah. And it was meant to just be ridiculing. And I, yeah. I always think that, you know, that's kind of how we are. We got half of our beard shaved off. Some people think we're weird from the front view. But when they get on the other side of the church doors and they get inside and they see us acting like complete and total morons, um, then they see us from the backside and our butts hanging out. And it, it just, it, it's obvious that's not how we're supposed to look or to be. Um, when, when you wrote this book, what kind of motivated I mean, were, were you on Facebook one day and you just said, that's it. <laughs> you know, I've had enough. What brought you to the point where you said, I need to address this using yeah. John 17? Well, a little bit of that, you know, I already mentioned with the, was kind of the, the, the family history of just going, wow, I, I, if, if I'm going to be called into this, God, please may our church never turn into the church that I ran away from as a kid. And so it was a little bit of a, just a, a vow to say there, there has to be some kind of, of, of healthy culture that we, that we'll be intentional about. Um, so, you know, you take that, you couple it with the stories of, as our church uh, began to grow, one of the things we, we saw was that we wanted to be really intentional about that healthy culture and just giving people practical tools. Well, it was almost like, you know, it wasn't rocket science at, at all. We weren't, we hadn't invented, reinvented the wheel or anything. We were just teaching basic biblical principles about relationships. But I started having pastors from really all over the country say, well, wait, can you help us with this? Can you show us this? I'm like, guys, it's right there. But it just seemed like, seems like still, unfortunately, and our world is really aching for some of these practical things. There's a, uh, when, when you talk about that passage, um, I, I totally agree. The, the, the sad thing is, I'm not sure we're self-aware enough to know that we're, that we're hanging out the back end of our tunics. I, I'm not sure that we really see that. Um, there's a, there's a story, uh, that I tell, uh, pretty early in the book, um, about a, a dive that I went on because my wife and I and our, our girls, when they were younger, we were open water certified scuba divers kind of love doing that. Uh, so we did this thing. We were in the Bahamas and uh, uh, got hooked up with a buddy who took us over to a place where we could do a shark dive. Now I've done a shark dive um, in Africa with a great white kind of a thing, but you're in a cage. This isn't a cage. You do the dive and the guy who's with you is in this steel mesh suit and he, he, you like, you descend down about 30, 40 feet into the water. You're in a circle. He comes down with this mesh suit on and a helmet, which, you know, as soon as I saw him putting that on in the, in the boat, I was like, well, can I pay for the upgrade? Because that, you know, it, it was a much safer looking thing he was doing. We're in that circle and he starts to feed, he pulls out these chunks of, of fish out of a steel box. And there's probably 15, 20 sharks that descend on us in this melee in the middle of that circle. And it was a sight to behold. I mean, it was they were fighting. They were dancing. It was very graceful and scary all at the same time because we're right there. I mean, at one point, one of the sharks swimming out of the circle did a headbutt on me, like knocked my mask off. Well, here's the point of the story. Before we get in the water. The instructions that we were given, like to my whole family, including my wife and girls who are looking at me going, really, dad, we're, this is what we're doing today. But the instructions were, 
once we get down there, you're on your own. If you fall over, you've got to get up on your own. Don't reach out. If you reach out, you might pull back a stump. You can't really leave. If you leave, no one's got your back covered. You're literally going to have to be there, stay there, and do this on your own because there are sharks in the water. It was kind of a crazy, amazing, exciting experience. When we got out of the water, one of the first things I thought was, wow, I hate to admit this, but those are kind of the instructions that we should give people when they're swimming in Christian-infested waters. If you fall over, you're on your own. If you reach out, you might pull back a stump. If you leave too early, nobody's got your back. And it just began to burden me with this idea of, God, there's got to be a better way. No wonder people aren't being wooed to this idea of Christian community. If we can't act differently than the world around us, then why would my neighbors and friends be interested? I mean, we've got to do this differently. And so with that unrest, I started seeing how can we put this together in a way that people, A, would read it. It's, you know, got enough stories in it that they won't doze off. And, 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 and B, can we put biblically grounded, practical principles in there to where leaders and, and, and congregations can, they can help create a different culture. It's really what this comes down to is a healthy culture in a local church. How can this happen? Okay. So for our church planners listening today, Greg, they're listening, they're saying, okay, you know, I get it. Um, they're feeling pretty good about themselves to a certain degree because it's small and they're meeting in the house and they're eating meals. If they're doing it right, they're in community and it's happening. But um, then again, church plants can often sour once they leave the house. And I've watched many churches fold. I've watched church planters uh, you know, it's kind of like church plans gone bad. You know, it should be a, mm-hmm. a, a new uh, late night TV show. But, yeah. you know, I mean, how do you create that culture? What what, what do you I mean, don't give us the book, but unpack a little bit. What are some of the practical? Because I like to use that word where we can function was your wording in that unity. Yeah. Well, I think the, the if, if you get into that middle section of the book the first the first chapter uh, there is really about uh the presence of humility there, there i think you know when you look at paul's words to us in in romans 12 of how a body is supposed to function well of course that's what's happening in that in in that house church there's like okay the body is functioning and my guess is everybody kind of has a sense of what their role is and what they're doing people are picking up different roles Sometimes we're picking up more than one role. That's how that's working. But if you move out of the house and now you've got maybe a few more families that are showing up and people are showing up, everybody kind of has to begin to remember that we need each other. Now, I know that sounds so cheesy. In fact, one of the first things I do in the book is to promise this will not end in a group hug. I don't think this is a kumbaya. Let's all just, you know, sit around the fire and, and, and make some more. That's not what this is. But the best shot you have, and Paul says this in Romans 12, of the body actually functioning as one, is if none of us think more than we ought to of ourselves. So like one of the baseline things is a humility. You have to practice humility. So we go from that into this whole idea of how do you intentionally collaborate with each other? How do you how do you work on these things together? How do you pay attention to some of this stuff as a church planter? 
And as a, as a pastor, it's kind of like, you, you know, you keep one eye on, on what you're doing in front of you and you keep one eye on, on this, on this goal that's out there. Yes, you are, you, you are doing this thing, which is an awesome responsibility. This idea of, of, of being someone who is, you are literally advancing the kingdom of God in the world. It's a great thing, but you've got to keep an eye on what's happening in the culture of your church. You know, I hate to give you another story, but let me just give you a part of one, which is if, if I'm a, if I'm, I'm, my other kind of big love is fly fishing. And so sometimes I've, I've had the opportunity to fish in places where the fish are great, but the bears are prevalent too. It's kind of like a both and, right? They, because if the fish are there, that's good news. But if the fish are there, so are the bears. Well, you know, they always tell you that the reason, you know, if a, if a bear comes upon you, don't run. You're just supposed to like wave your arms and say, hey, bear, and all of that, which is ridiculous. You, you feel ridiculous when you're doing that. My point is this, I've been fishing before and I've been so intent on the fishing and catching the fish and, and doing that, that I have not paid attention to the fact that there's a bear walking up the stream. Mm. And the truth is, you and I know, Peter tells us, that there's an enemy on the prowl. He is sniffing at the edge of camp. He is seeking to devour. Now, Peter calls him a lion. He could just as easily be a bear. But my point to church leaders and church planners is this. You got to keep one eye on the fish because what you're doing is so important. And it's actually, it's, it's what you've been called to. So you keep one eye on the fish. You keep, you keep, you keep leading into this thing. You keep preaching the gospel. You keep doing what you've been called to do. You keep one eye on the fish, but you better keep one eye on the bear because the culture of your church will not stay mm. healthy without you being intentional. Right. Some of the hor- most horrible stories I've heard, Peyton, are guys who have come to me and it started like this. Well, we never thought it would happen to us. Mm. If, you, if, if, if Let me help you with that. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. Those horrible stories that we see of guys and ministries that are flaming out, oftentimes it starts with that sentence, well, it'll never happen to me. It couldn't happen to us. Oh, yes, it could. The evil one hates what church planters are doing, hates the advancement of the kingdom, hates the, the, these pockets of light in a world of darkness. So, of course, that's going to happen. So we have to be intentional about that. And it's not a negative thing. It's just a proactive thing. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So if if I'm looking at um, the bears, what are some of the biggest bears that attack the church. Let's say the church plant's going well. What are the bears? What's going to come and eat my fish? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Um, well, okay. So I would say this: um, it, it, one, it, it's a myth that's out there that that as long as we're getting the important things done, how we get it done isn't important. I think it's a very dangerous thing to be thinking because a lot of times it's like, well, people are coming to Christ. Well, we're still making it. Well, we're doing whatever. Listen. Large churches have been built on that myth. And out back is a pile of bodies. Yep. We leave these horrible stories in our wake. And so the first thing that I would challenge church planners to think about is how we do what we do does matter. It's not just what we do. It's how we do what we do. In fact, I'll go you one further. If you go back to that prayer of Jesus in John 17, how we do what we do is just as missional as what we do. Yeah. 
So when Jesus says, they'll know that you, that, that you sent me, Father, if they're one as we are one, well, then th- that's a big deal. I mean, we, we've got to start with that. Um, and it's just foundational. I, I would say another thought is um, a lot of times people, and, and, and you tell me, but it seems to me that the size of a church, it really doesn't matter. People will kind of just, they'll give up a little bit on things changing because it'll be kind of like, um, well, it's, it's not really even worth focusing on the culture of an organization because it's never going to change anyway. I mean, right. we are who we are. Yeah, I've heard that. It's not true. That's not true. If we're the people of God, if the Spirit's coursing through our veins, then I think there ought to be a, a chance for things to be different. And um, so, so those would be a couple of the things that I would say are, are for sure something that we want to do is to just start with some of those foundational things. In the book, you will see a big stress in the next section on our words. I really do think that we forget you know, when the writer of Proverbs says that our words have the power of life and death, I can't tell you how many ministries I've seen just get stabbed straight in the heart mm. because of well-placed, ugly words uttered by other Christians. Mm. And I know what it's like in a startup church. I know what it's like going, wait, am I crazy for doing this? Because I've had people in my family and friends and neighbors tell me I'm crazy for doing this. I know what that's like. Mm. And, and, and we have to, we have to understand that within the body of Christ, we can't do that to each other. We have to, we have to mind our language. We have to get to a place where my words can actually encourage and build you up. That's what Paul says. Right. So I, I, it, it, my heart is out there for people who are doing the hard work of ministry. But everyone in that church, I don't care if there's 15 people in it or 1,500 people in it, they need to begin to realize what the Bible says about the power of our words. By the way, I am not, I'm, I'm not saying that this is some kind of a, yeah, I'm not going down the road of, uh, you know, our words are some kind of magical incantation where we get to box God in and he has to do this because I'm saying that with my words. I don't mean that. But there's just too many places in the Old and New Testaments where the power of our words are stressed mm. that by, by the writers. This matters. What we say matters. Right. Well, and it and it does. And um, there are, you know, um, there's a lot to be said. You know, you mentioned the word atmosphere. And what I like is you're connecting values to the atmosphere. Um you know, we, uh, we work very closely. Um, you know, one of the things I do is I train for North American Mission Board and I train church planning trainers. And with that, we train people through Will Mancini's, um, uh, Oxano, uh, the, uh, um, vision frame tool, the kingdom concept tool and, uh, work very closely with them. And, um, that tool right there, when they talk about values, they say values, when you focus on your values, all church planners, you know, are told to do this. And I, you bring up a good point. I don't think they often know why. Okay. I'm just supposed to have five things I say are important to me. No, the values are people won't know your values when they walk through the door, but they'll feel them and they'll feel them because your values create the atmosphere. So for us, for example, I, I planted a, 
few years ago. I've moved on since, but I planted a church in inner city Long Beach. And, and one of the things that we said is we're not running a show. We had all these different maxims that we'd, you know, um, you know, some people might say things like people over programs. When those are your values and you're really living those things, um, it, it's felt. People get that. They, they feel it. They may not even know what your values are. I doubt that, uh, often in many churches, people actually could recount all the values unless people have been paying attention to Will Mancini and they're constantly communicating them. But the reality is you feel those in a church, even if you can't put a finger on it. So I love that you've, you've done that. Guys, we're out of time and, uh, there's so much more that I'm sure Greg has that, that he would want to say, but he has said it. He said it in a book. It's called The Genius of One. You should pick it up. And, uh, it's found at Amazon. Greg, is there anywhere else where people can connect with you if they want to, uh, you know, maybe go to a site that's all about things, Greg Holder, or is there any, any other place that you'd like to drive them? That is a scary concept, all things Greg Holder, but I will tell you You this. You sound cool, man. Fly fisher, (laughs) shark diver. I'm like, hey, I want to know more about this guy. Yeah. Well, um, you could go to gregholder.com, and there'll be some stuff there, and there's some stuff that we share out there and even some more materials that can help people um, kind of work through some of this book stuff even um, in smaller settings and and relational settings. And so that probably is the easiest place, Peyton, is just, uh, you know, gregholder.com. Very cool, man. Very cool. Well, hey, one last thing that we do, Greg, um, always uh, on every podcast, um, you're not expecting it, but our listeners are. And that is the question we ask every guest, but the contenders change every guest. Every guest gets his own contender. And I've been looking at your uh, Amazon uh, book page, and I noticed that customers who bought your book also bought The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. So ding, ding, here we go. Time to enter the ring. You're, you've been in circles with sharks, but now uh, you're going to face off against Mark Batterson. If you and Mark Batterson were to get in a physical fist fight, God forbid that should happen with you writing a book called The Genius of One about unity. But let's say you do get in a fist fight. Who's going to win? Um, oh, gosh. Uh, My money's on you. I'm just saying. Okay. All right. Well, you know, um, I got a couple of sweet ninja moves. So, um, you know, if uh, I'll, I'll go with me too. I, I under protest. You're violating every value of my book. I know, um, right? And this wasn't um, a setup. It just is on every podcast. It's called Hardcore yeah. Church Planning, and yeah. we figure our church planners they like to scrap it up, you know. But I'm gonna, uh, you know what? I'm going to frame it this way: If humility is one of those things that you have to have to do this, I'm quite sure that Mark. Uh, is, is, has a, a, a more humble heart and everything. So he would probably even throw the fight to me. So there, I'm going to win the fight, but it's probably <laughs> because Mark's just a bit, a better man than I, me. So I was there. kind of expecting you to say, I'm going to totally win, but I'm going to do it with a humble heart. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's, it's that too, right? I mean, you, you can't really say, you can't really brag about your humility. So, um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm but yeah, I'd, I'd like to think I could take Mark, um, you know, so yeah, yeah, there's my yeah. answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Circle maker, I circle maker. This I've been in a circle with sharks, Mark. So there you go. Anyways, there you go. hey, that was me, not you. So don't worry about that coming back to haunt you. Yes, please. Mark yes, and please. I will have our time as well. So great. Hey, thanks for joining us on the podcast today, listeners. Thanks for joining us, Greg. And uh, anyways, you've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Arnold, sign us out. 
Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by The Church Planner Podcast and The Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.